Hello, hello everyone, it's Tuesday, yay, we did it, here we are once again. Welcome to Hi, I Think You're Nice, this is Sarah Hanshaw, your friendly host. Well, I try to be friendly, yeah, I think I'm pretty friendly, anywhoozle. Hey, this episode is with my friend Jeremy Richards, where we talk about meditation. He's been studying and practicing for about 20 years, and if you're like, oh no, this might be a little too woo-woo for me, do not fret, my friends, because it has tiger attacks. It has chickens. It also has beautiful, thoughtful, and mindful ways of navigating this crazy world. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. Now comes shout out time. Boop, 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 yeah. Because last week I launched a Patreon page so that way I could get patrons uh, to hopefully financially donate to Hi, I Think You're Nice, this podcast, so it can be self sustaining. And so maybe I can do more with it in the future. I am thrilled to say within one week, I have met my initial goal, which was just to make, <laughs> just to make Hi, I Think You're Nice self-sustaining. So I am no longer losing money by doing this podcast every month. And I am beyond thrilled, thankful. Thank you so much. So I had three patrons I want to thank. Uh, one wishes to remain anonymous. Thank you, anonymous. And then I've got Cindy and then I've got Brittany. Thank you, all three of you, so much. If you're interested in becoming a patron, it starts at $2 if you're interested, uh, $5 if you'd like to get some outtakes and the cut stuff that isn't quite nice, but it is still kind of funny. For $25, look at you, big spender, I will give you your very own lesson video lesson on how to musically arm fart. What? Crazy. I also want to give a quick shout out to Christy, who left a nice review on Apple Podcast. Thank you, Christy. Guys, I can use any sort of review. All of that helps. So any review from any platform, stars, thumbs up, subscribing, downloading, all of that absolutely is so, so helpful. I promise it means so much to me to the, from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to keep in touch with me and follow up and see what else is going on, because sometimes I like to post funny pictures or interesting quotes and stuff like that, please follow me on Facebook at I Think You're Nice, Twitter, I Think You're Nice, and Instagram, I Think You're Nice. You can also just go directly to my website, ithinkyournice.com. And if you want to email me, you sure can at sarah at ithinkyournice.com. Alrighty, I think that's this, that, and the other has been accomplished. I hope you enjoy this episode. I sure did. It genuinely brought me a lot of mindfulness and thoughtfulness, which in turn gave me a lot of peace. So I hope you enjoy. Take care, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Thank you. Hi, I think you're nice. Why, hi, I think you're nice. Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat, so let's chat, so let's chat. I think you're nice, so let's chat. Do 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 do. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hi, I Think You're Nice. I am your host, Sarah Hanchar, and I will be speaking with a nice person about nice things. You know the drill. That's what we're here for, right? So for today, I have my friend Jeremy Richards, and we're going to talk about meditation. Yay. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sarah. I loved your email about it because <laughs> Jeremy's email said... Um, I would love to talk about meditation. I'm not very good at it, but I have been practicing for 20 years. <laughs> and I think that's probably the most, 
I don't know, meditative thing a person can say about it, right? Sort of the right. school of we're never going to master it, I'm, I presume, or it's something that's always changing. Yeah. If I had been fully enlightened, I would have just dissolved into a ray of light. <gasps> oh, is that what happens? Yeah. When you master, <laughs> that's that's the end game? I of... think so. Cool. Yeah. All right. Here I was thinking it was just, um, I don't know. Uh, a temple somewhere beautiful in a mountain where there are, I don't know, in my head, there are like dogs around. There are. Actually, are there? I've been to one with dogs. They had fleas, but they were still very nice dogs. Oh, it's not their fault. They can't help it. They're so delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so, okay. So meditation. How did you get into it? Thank you so for asking. Yeah. Get into it. I... Think about your preface that if we go to Bummertown, you'll have to edit it out. And unfortunately... You live in Bummertown first. That's fine. You know, my my precursor to meditation was a Bummertown Central in a way. Um, in that when I was 14 years old, after my parents had separated, my father and I were living in the carpeted attic of a halfway house. Okay. Like you do. And... A lot of other people in that situation um, are dealing with uh, transitioning from addiction or coming out of incarceration or any number of things. That wasn't the case for my father, but he was still down on his luck. And one night, uh, one of the gentlemen living in a, a nearby room was being very loud, and my father went and confronted him, Mm -hmm. and the guy got in his face and and threatened to kill him right in front of me. And at the time, I was like, oh, I need to find my skateboard and attack this guy and, you know, do something. And fortunately, I could not find my skateboard. And the situation uh, was de-escalated enough to when the police came and uh, nothing too too terrible happened. But that was a flashpoint for me in not only wanting to get myself out of an urgent situation and want to protect myself, but mm-hmm. also understand why people do what they do. Okay. You know, yeah. and it wasn't just what am I going to do the next time I come across a former prison inmate, but how did my father end up in that situation? Not sure. in a judgmental way, but yeah. of all the privilege that my family had mm-hmm. and that, that his parents had before him still ending up in that situation. So that is really what sent me to the library to study everything I could on psychology and philosophy and, oh. and sociology and um, around the same time getting into martial arts. Mm-hmm. And so the confluence of those things in a book called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. Um, <gasps> I do love heard, Bruce Lee. <laughs> he's amazing. And he, he is not just an amazing action star, mm-hmm. but as a lot of people may have heard, he studied philosophy at the University of Washington. So yeah, uh, I I know that he's a staple here, and that was very exciting to learn about. Yeah, I didn't know that. In his book, he before he even talks about martial arts, he has a long preface of all these aphorisms and reflections from his notebooks about Taoism, Chinese philosophy, Mm -hmm. and it really piqued my interest. And, and how old are you when you're reading this? So you're still 14-ish? You're a teenager Yeah, and, and so this was through my teen years, like into 14, 15, 16, when I was starting to get into martial arts and learn about the philosophy behind it. Yeah. I don't think I got disciplined enough to sit down and really meditate and for a couple of years, though. Sure. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what 16, if there are any 16 year olds listening, let me know how easy it is for you to sit quietly with no phone, no screen, no nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jeremy, with your permission, I I would like to keep that opening story because yeah. that is, um, that is a bummer town, but we come, we're trying to find niceness and kindness within bummer situations like how can we turn what we've experienced i mean the reason the whole reason i'm doing this podcast is because i get heart punches daily from what i see from what i experience from how i'm treated from how i've treated others and so that's why i wanted to have like just maybe an hour ish of nice time for people but at the same time we need to acknowledge that the world is not a pink unicorn rainbow star the way that it you know should be (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah if that's okay with you i wouldn't i think that's uh, i think that's really brave and bold of you to share that's really intense thank you so you got into it out of necessity almost. I think um, so, yeah. Yeah. So what was it about uh, the meditation aspect that interested you? I naturally think too much, as a lot of people do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and even being a Buddhist, though not a very disciplined one, mm-hmm. I think it's something that I'm drawn to because it's counter to my nature which is to overanalyze everything Mm -hmm. and get sometimes distracted or dive a little bit too deep into one theory or another. So it was still very much into Western philosophy, which I study a lot of uh, at university, and at the same time studying Chinese philosophy a little bit more formally with a a professor who had come from the University of Hong Kong, to uh, Gonzaga, where I went to, uh, to university in Spokane. Okay, uh, cool. I was able to learn more about the traditions and history and so forth um, mm-hmm. and make my practice a bit more robust in that way. Yeah, so you're coming from a more, a deeply knowledgeable place. Because I think when a lot of people hear meditation, it also gets lumped in with like, yoga and mm. with it gets lumped in with um uh bougie you have time affluent Gwyneth Paltrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it gets lumped into like well good for you for having time because I was just thinking about that because I don't want listeners to think like I'm saying you need to start meditating or you know this isn't a call to action no or anything yeah. this is just about your journey with meditation that sounds really interesting um, and how you've personally benefited from it. And, um, but, it, you know, it does conjure those things of, of people who are very fortunate to have time, to have resources, to sit quietly or get together and sit quietly with others, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's why I'm excited to talk to you because I want to learn the real deal. And clearly your beginning is one of the most humble beginnings one can possibly have. The people who are the the pillars of the meditation community, the Dalai Lama or Thich Nhat Hanh or Sharon Salzberg, these are all people who have been through really terrible, heart-wrenching things. Mm. And I think it's out of that experience that in part makes them much more authentic. And to your point, I think it was the Dalai Lama who said, I have a very busy day today. I better meditate twice as long. Oh, that's really sweet. (laughs) And 
you don't have to, I'll just say up front, you don't have to have a, a little shrine room and two hours a day to mm-hmm. be in total isolation. If you have one minute, five minutes, mm-hmm. there are so many apps out there that are, some of them are actually pretty useful. Oh, are they? That can give you bite-sized meditations that you can do on the bus or on a brief coffee break or, yeah. or, or what have you that can really recalibrate your outlook for the day, I think. Nice. Well, and I I mean, it's interesting that there are apps because I've seen them, the mindfulness apps of breathing and stuff. The stuff for the breathing, I think, is very interesting. And that helps me for just my, for whatever helped me get back in touch and calms me down. Um, but I wondered if, yeah, I'm glad to know that they're not all flim flam shim shams. That some are <laughs> like really helping people uh, find peace or at least, you know, recalibrate, like you said. Yeah, yeah, the app's like 10% Happier, Dan Harris's app. He has a lot of really well-respected meditation teachers on that app. Uh, Calm 10% is... Happier? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a journalist, an ABC journalist, who had a nervous breakdown, kind of panic attack on the air many years oh. ago, and that's what led him. So he also has his sort of yeah. transition story, but is also coming from a place of skepticism and inquiry and he has a podcast by the same name 10% happier and is constantly pushing back on his guests anytime they try to get into the metaphysical so I really like his approach his book is called 10% happier so he just has his brand and he mm-hmm. just made up that percentage you know he'll, I was gonna say, say Mike, can too. he quantify, <laughs> quantify that 10% well there are things that have been quantified <laughs> oh, really? uh, at a lot of prestigious universities MIT Harvard and so forth with longtime meditators uh, that meditation actually improves increases the gray matter in your brain over oh. time and that you know it it does in many ways reduce your reactivity that it, it makes you more resilient <laughs> yeah it's it's become widely recognized as a very pragmatic mm-hmm. approach right uh for good or for ill there are some people out there that are claiming that they can sell you serenity and <laughs> Is, is maybe not the, the best use of that, but just by its nature. Also, those who are coming from the traditions are not super outraged about the spread of meditation and trying to be the truth police and hunt down the people who are not teaching it correctly and so yeah. forth. Well, ultimately, if it's benefiting you, then it's benefiting you. And that's really what matters, I presume. Absolutely. Nice. How and when do you practice, if I may ask? I don't know if that's like a personal question, like how often do you go to the bathroom? Like, I don't know if it's something that's so sacred. It's really sacred when I go to the bathroom is all I'm trying right. to say. <laughs> and it, that's part of the issue is that it's fine for some people if they want to treat a certain practice as sacred. Tantric traditions, for example, are rarely spoken of for, mm-hmm. for those reasons. And yet, with... I said, mm-hmm, like I knew what tantric <laughs> meant. I only know it in the tantric sex way. Okay, that's literally that's the part only of it. The yeah, only that's... version of tantric I understand. It's a whole meditative practice as well. <laughs> it's not unrelated. Um, okay. So there are some more esoteric things where meditators are told not to go into it. In part, not to try to make it an egoic thing. To mm. try to say, I'm more humble than you are. Yeah. Um, and transcendent and so forth for myself though i meditate anytime i can find you know um 
sometimes on the bus is a very good time for me. I have the headphones that are noise blocking. I have this app called brain.fm that plays sounds in my ears that uh, supposedly, and they have evidence to back this up, entrains the brain into a certain meditative state that um, hmm. you don't have to necessarily focus in order for your brain to go into that meditative state. And even meditation itself, it is not about clearing the thoughts. It's not about being totally blank. It's about how you attend to the thoughts and are able to recognize thoughts and feelings and images and everything else arising. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, I'm not good at meditating. I've tried it and I just keep getting distracted. So why even bother? Because that's kind of like saying, well, I tried to lift weights, but I keep having to put them down. But then I lift them up again. And I'm, well, are you stronger after your session? <laughs> I can't hold them forever and right. I have to put them down and I'm a failure at weightlifting. <laughs> exactly. And it's not a perfect analogy because the point of meditation is not necessarily to hold, to hold the weights on. up. Yeah. Um, but even if it's just a couple of seconds at a time and then okay i noticed i've i've put the breath down or i put the attention down now i'm going to lift it back up again and now i'm going to put it back down now i'm going to lift it back up again oh. and that's really what it comes down to someone once said what saves us is to take a step it's always the same step but we have to take it and in in a way it's the the same thing with meditation it's always the same breath but you have to take it and so Sometimes it's a formal meditation yeah. where, where I'll listen to something on a podcast that has meditation uh, built into it or on one of the apps that has a meditation teacher who will walk you through something for 10, 15 minutes. Cool. Sometimes it'll be the app that I just sort of listen to. If I'm lying in bed and trying to rest, instead of having that so tired you can't sleep feeling where you're just like fighting it and feeling like you're wasting yeah. time. I'm just like, great. This is my time to meditate. Oh. So that that's, counts. <laughs> that, that is a huge flip because I struggle with uh, falling asleep and uh, anxiety stuff, especially at nighttime. Right. Gosh, nighttime anxiety is my favorite. Yay, cortisol. Um, oh, it's just, I've just got so much to do. Right. Or why didn't I get anything done? Or... You know, there's a million things happening. So to use panics, non-sleeping time and harness that into mindful, not sleeping time, that would probably just make my brain feel better because one, I'm doing something and that's something I constantly have to be feeling at all times right. of being in action and doing something, which I think is um, why I find meditation so interesting because it seems like... Uh, hearing that you're not supposed to be like thoughtless or not, you're not thoughtless, but you know what I mean? Like blank. And it <laughs> says nothing but a serene, I don't know, warm breeze. I don't know what's supposed to be happening in, in your brain. Cause I certainly can't shut off the jibber jabber of my own. No one can. Yeah. No one can. Right. Right. That's impossible. Cause if that means, that means there are problems. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are certain things that they can read in a Buddhist monk's brain that are different than the rest of us right mm. and there's this gadget that i tried for a little bit that you put on your head and it goes behind your ears and it it sort of reads your thoughts or it at least gets a certain baseline for 
the chatter and then it gives you biofeedback through your headphones to where it's stormy if you're really distracted and then it gives little chirping birds if you're really focused. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> That's amazing. It's kind of cool. I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone. Um, it does seem a little... Um, when you first described it, the first image that popped into my head is whenever um, in Ghostbusters, when Rick Moranis comes in and uh, he ha they put him in that thing on his head. He was the gatekeeper. Or no, he was the key master. Anyway. Oh, so Rick it's Moranis? Rick Moranis' character with the thing on his head. It's a colander, yeah. essentially. Uh -huh. Anyway. So it's not that. No. Okay. So it's more like a head, like a sweatband, like a headband that yeah, goes around your head? Yeah, it looks like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so I tried that for a while and I did return it. Um, it's not always about trying to hit a certain score. <laughs> it's it's rarely about that, right? Yeah. It's helpful for some people who want to quantify it, though, mm -hmm. and to know there's actually something going on in your brain and you're not just being sold a bag of goods. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, it's going to be subjective. And if it works well for you in yeah. whatever way, then it works well for you. Um, so I have different little hacks like the technology i feel like some purists would probably admonish me for this but for example i have like this little sensor on uh the waistband of the jeans that i'm wearing right now mm -hmm. that uh will buzz me if my breathing gets too tense and encourage me to take deeper breaths oh um, which is helpful for me because even after you know a couple decades of practice it's easy to lose track of something as simple and primal as your own breath right um, and I feel like any way that you get into it is fine. You don't have to be, again, go to a monastery in India, even though I did. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. I, I would say if someone wants a low threshold for mm -hmm. getting into meditation and they're still skeptical, and Dan Harris wrote a second book called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, which I love that title. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm just here to channel Dan Harris, basically, just to be like a, a poor man's version. Um, and here he is now. But he, he doesn't recommend this. I've never heard anybody recommend this, but I'll say maybe this is my uh, pioneering entryway, is download or, or find uh, a streaming audio of a simple meditation and then play a video game while you're listening to it if you don't feel like you can focus on it, like a game like Tetris or I really okay. like this game called Alto's Odyssey on that. A mobile platform where you're just sort of like skating or surfing along a desert or something. I it's, love that game. Yeah. It's so pretty. And it's so soothing, right? Yeah. So that, those are the types of games that are really good, I think, for my my visual feel to just be immersed in while I'm listening to mm -hmm. uh, meditation or to a talk about meditation or something. And I feel like it, it entrains my brain in a different way. That's not my only practice. Yeah. But it, again, it's a low barrier to entry and you don't feel bad about being distracted. Your multitasking brain is happy. Mm -hmm. And then maybe that'll be a gateway into saying, okay, now I can actually sit down and focus just on the meditation. Okay. I, I'm i also very impressed and did not see this coming. How many um, electronics and gadgets and gizmos aplenty there are associated with, with meditation, like you right. being buzzed for breathing. And, <laughs> you know, we have... Uh, you know, you mentioned a couple different apps and stuff. I, I guess I, I really have the ignorant brain where I'm just like, you go to a place and you sit on a cushion. Um, and cause I went, went I went once with a friend of mine oh, cool. where I went and I sat on a cushion and I was a 
fidgeter, not skeptic, mm-hmm. but very fidgety and my leg hurt and I wasn't sitting right. And I'm like, my God, how much longer could this possibly be? I don't want to embarrass <laughs> my friend, but if I don't move my foot, I'm going to die. And then I moved my foot and then I felt bad that I moved my foot and I'm like, should I put my foot back? <laughs> and so all I thought about was my foot and my hip the whole time. Very common. <laughs> because I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. You, you should be allowed to be comfortable. There's no rule where the Buddha or anyone else said, you must be uncomfortable the whole time, you know. You can sit comfortably. Mm-hmm. You can focus on your breath, and you can deliberately take deeper breaths if that makes you feel better. There's so many meditation teachers who are like, don't try to change your breath. And that almost seems like too much into the opposite direction. Okay. And I get what they're saying. They're saying that it's it's not about trying to force anything. But mm-hmm. I I prefer to actually deliberately take slower deeper breaths because it helps me to to settle into focus um so there are many ways of doing it and one term that some use is freestyle meditation so ooh, i like that when you're you know washing dishes or walking the dog or just just hanging out um to take a moment to recognize your breath or whatever meditative practice you want to bring forward it all counts it all adds up on your meditation Fitbit um, <laughs> at the end of the day, right? Now, is that a thing? Uh, well, Not Apple yet? Watch has the Breathe app. Uh, oh, it does? So okay. it'll. I know that you're a huge fan of Apple. Um, <laughs> I don't dislike Apple. I just don't have any I'm other I'm surprised stuff. that you have the shrine to Steve Jobs here because you talk so much about how you don't like them. Um, <laughs> he seemed fine. He, seemed, he was a Zen Buddhist meditator as oh, well. for real? Even though he self-admittedly did not have a very good handle on his emotions and anger and everything. Um, yeah. But uh, it helped him. And so, yeah, Apple Watch has a thing called Breathe that has has little uh, vibration patterns mm-hmm. of when to breathe in and, and breathe out. And it does actually quantify how much you've used to that Breathe app okay. at the end of the week. So, yeah. There so are if all... you are a goal-oriented person that's like, I need to make sure I get my, I don't know, my water i need to make sure i drink my eight cups of water and i mark down each cup of water i drink so if you like to see something at the end of the week of the work that you've done it is possible it's possible but not necessary but not necessary yeah in fact i i can't do things like a little bit i have a hard time uh moderating anything Mm -hmm. it's all or all or nothing i think a lot of us struggle with that where we're like laser focused on this okay now we're laser focused on that and any movement or any variation from the plan equals failure to me. Right. Like if I don't accomplish, like I made cookies the other night, I didn't have any eggs. I'm like, oh, forget <laughs> it. Why did I even start without checking my ingredients first? Oh. And I'm like, calm down. Look at the internet. Oh, look, substitution for eggs. And I figured something out and the cookies were fine. I should have brought you eggs because my <laughs> wife raises chickens. And what? that would have been a nice thing to do coming to someone's house. And I Farm fresh, yard, backyard fresh eggs. Next time. Oh my, for yeah. real. I, yeah. I, well, you also have a family, right? So like sure. you, you have plenty of people at home to eat those eggs. So And she sells <laughs> eggs and everything too. So it's a whole operation. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How many chickens do you have? This complete oh, t- um, uh, yeah, diversion. She could but... be on your podcast next time. She, I think she has 50 chickens or something. Oh, what? She has a huge, uh, she has space on a farm property in Woodenville. I genuinely would love to talk to her about chickens because I <laughs> love them. And for a, a while, um, I was the reason 
one of the reasons we wanted to move out of the city and get a place with a little bit more land is because I thought maybe it'd be fun to have a few chickens. Oh, yeah. Um, she will definitely convert you. After you're done talking to her, you will own a dozen chickens and you won't even know what happened. <laughs> Ultimately, it was my call to say I don't want chickens because... You know, getting a dog sitter is pretty typical. Cat sitter, house sitter, what have you. Yeah. Chicken sitter, a little more challenging. Probably pretty common in this area. For real? I mean, they don't take too much upkeep. I don't know. What am I saying? I'm not the one going out there and shoveling <laughs> the chicken poop every day, twice a day, like my wife does. Oh, my gosh. But, See, um, she's, wow. Dedicated, yes. She's a very dedicated chicken lady. She is. That's amazing. I feel so ashamed. What is your wife's name? Holly. Holly. Yeah. Okay. She has a, a small business called Egg Song Farm. Egg song farm. Yeah, because uh, the chickens make they sing little songs when they yeah, when they lay an egg. They chickens make the cutest noises, and they're like um, a walking koi pond, almost, <laughs> where they just sort of wander and they eat the little bugs in your yard, and yeah, um, they give you gifts from their butt. It's just, <laughs> it really is beautiful. How I'm, many animals could do that, right? Right? That yes. we want the gift from their butt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all know the egg isn't from the butt, right? Okay. Um, well, great. Well, that was Chicken Corner. I'm so <laughs> glad we got there. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and goodbye. No, um, where were we? So we we're, were talking about you can take technology, technology or not, or you can, in the example that you had where you were fidgety, I think more meditation teachers could benefit from setting up that expectation that your back's probably going to hurt, your ankle might feel off, don't feel like you have to be stiff and perfect. Everyone is going through that and mm -hmm. squirming, especially internally. And if you glance around and feel like everyone is perfectly in yeah. the moment they're not you can't read what's going on but everybody i can tell you just extrapolating from experience and research everyone to some extent is going through a similar internal fidgetiness hmm. again the point is picking up the weight again and so that gets me into what really is meditation's point if you will <laughs> if you if you had to say is it to I guess that's a really kind of dumb question because meditation is so much to so many and can serve so many functions from helping people with PTSD to um, managing emotions, just to calming down on the bus, what have you. But like, what is, what is the ultimate, if there were the Buddha, what would he say? <laughs> what would, what would the goal, the boop, the point of the mountain to peak be? Right. A lot of meditation teachers will take a purist approach and say the point of meditation is just to sit. The point of meditation is just to be attentive to the breath. And they almost to a fault, not to, again, not to cast judgment, but I feel like almost overemphasizing some purity that it's only in and of itself. And yet, again, mm -hmm. we can quantify benefits that say it will help you be more mindful throughout the day. If you find yourself in reactivity, in getting stuck in your emotions and feeling like I'm always going to be frustrated, I'm always going to be anxious, I'm forgetting things, I'm not being as kind to my partner or my children as I want to be, all of these things are addressed by meditation to oh, some degree. Okay. Which is not to say that 
those who practice it are suddenly better people. Even the Dalai Lama loses his temper, according to the, the monks and according to himself, yeah. um, and, and those who surround him. And yet, for the most part, he is one of the most amazingly transcendent, happy, jolly people who has been through some of the worst horrific things yeah. in history. Um, and once you're around those who, who meditate quite a bit, it's hard for that not to be contagious. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if, because um, my, with my personal experiences with uh, the situations that my brain goes through, I've had various ther therapists, mostly talk therapy, and it almost seems where a lot of it is mindfulness is, um, hey, when you freaked out and cried so hard, what was happening really? And you look at what, what was triggering you, how to approach it better next time, what to do. And a lot of these things, it sounds like meditation is sort of therapy minus the therapist is discovering all of these feelings that are roiling within you and learning to not ignore them, not shut them down, but see them, accept them and live with them somehow. Is that about And it, learn from kinda? them, right. And learn from them. Right. Um, which is another misconception sometimes that people think that there's this stoicism about Buddhism or meditation where you're never supposed to be upset and never supposed well, to have those ups impossible. and downs. It's just impossible, we're right? We're human yeah. people with all of the feelings. <laughs> and some people in a, in a meditative practice, they get more turbulent for a while because they're becoming Churning more in up. touch with the stuff. Um, which is another thing you have to be aware of and maybe accept and embrace. Or some people feel like they get more of the mind chatter only because they're recognizing it more mm. after after sitting and, and observing it for a certain period of time. So it's not a substitute for therapy. It goes really well hand in hand with therapy. Yeah. Um, mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy is its own category. Of, really? Yeah. So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of people know about that. And then mm -hmm. there's mindfulness CBT. Oh, I didn't um, know about that one. Yeah. That one's new to me. Cool. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend books by Mark Epstein. He has a book, I think, called um, Falling Apart Without Falling Apart or something like that. Uh, he is a Harvard-trained psychologist, psychotherapist who discovered Buddhism. There are a lot of really... Highly credentialed, mm -hmm. overeducated, uh, <laughs> you know, smart psychologists who have recognized the, the utility, again, the pragmatism of Buddhism and embraced it wholeheartedly and written really beautifully about it. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to check that out because that I like the idea of uh, the fall, not falling apart. What was it? Falling apart, but not falling I, apart? I have it right Along... here. I can I can look at it really quick. Yeah, here. take a gander. Yep. Um, Please it's take on... your time. I also took notes on this other thing that I was going to share with you Ooh, if I get a chance. Yay, yeah, um, of course. This, go, is, oh, here our, this it is. is our chat. Uh, we can so do whatever we want. Mark Epstein um, is a psychiatrist, I think, because he has an MD. And it's called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, A Buddhist Perspective on Wholeness. Uh, there's also Tara Brock, T-A-R-A-B-A-R-C-H. Uh, and she is also a psychologist based in the Washington, D.C. area who has a, a podcast. Mm -hmm. So people can... Learn about that for free by listening to her podcast. If you like that, then she has a, a great book called Radical Acceptance. And I've heard of Radical Ex Acceptance. I feel like that is um, a movement that I've seen relatively recently. Like I'm, I'm radically accepting of um, 
it's uh, in in the realm that I've seen radical acceptance, and I know diddly squat about it. Right. Other than it seems like that you are really committing into accepting something about yourself. It has been um, like moms that I know, uh, you know, who are like, you know what? My house is a mess. I don't care because I love my family and it made a mess. And I'm just radically accepting that this is how my house is. And I'm not going to apologize for a sink full of dishes. And, you know, I'm not going to apologize for that. Or, or curvy girls who are like, you know what? Yeah, I have a big butt and I love it. I'm going to radically accept and celebrate and wear my purple pants because I like it and I don't care. And I love my purple butt. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I've heard radical ex- self-acceptance. I guess that's self-acceptance. That's so. absolutely part of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And these books are very accessible. You know, they're well-written, uh, have a lot of stories from, you know, their own experience, but also from some of their patients, obviously anonymized. Mm-hmm. And so there's very little proselytizing about Buddhism if anyone is cautious about that. But that's a good note that it's not going to be like, oh, BT dubs, you better be Buddhist or you're going to do it wrong, dumb dumb. So that's good. <laughs> that's a very good impression of Tara Brock. That sounds so much like her. Dumb dumb. <laughs> but that's the other thing is that uh, Buddhism doesn't make us complete doormats, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or mindfulness or meditation uh, with or without the Buddhist elements to it. That you can be an activist. You can be competitive in a, a very hard driving industry. You know, um, you can achieve great things and still have a certain amount of humility about it and maybe even do it better again because you're more in touch with that driving force. Jeremy's smiling very nicely. He has a very <laughs> nice smile. And holding up a lotus um, blossom. <laughs> Where'd that even come from? <laughs> I'm just part of my... I've, lev- I've reached level five yesterday. I unlocked it so I can now produce lotus blossoms for my palm. Oh my, it's really well, awesome. Now I'm sold. Yeah. And for only thirty nine ninety five a month. In, oh, really? Yeah, in 20 installments. Oh, I can teach wow. you that too. That's right. amazing. I knew it was a shim shim slim slam. I knew it. I knew it. Right. Um, it's free to download, but to unlock all the features, there's a subscription. That's the way that meditation works. Oh, that's what it is. So like... Like you get a pop-up ad in your actual brain <laughs> yeah. where it's like, can we get your credit card information? Um, and because we all know our credit cards by heart. And <laughs> yeah. So when you were doing all of this, especially in the earlier parts of your journey, did you discover anything about yourself that you found surprising? Like you're like, whoa, I didn't realize I blank. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is humbling because it starts to... Uh, make you realize your own limitations and you start to get these aspirations of being like, oh, I'm going to be totally more chill and Mm. in charge. And even when I get to the point where I'm going to be hired to run classes about being emotionally intelligent, I'm still occasionally going to flip or get impatient. You know, I think it was Liz Gilbert who said, if you think you're enlightened, try going home for the holidays. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Pressure cookers meets powder keg. <laughs> and so uh, I, I wouldn't limit the answer to just the early days. It's constantly, you know, yeah. calling myself out, not in an overly judgmental way, but recognizing, again, in the same pattern of, oh, I've drifted away from my breath. Let me get back to it. It's, oh, I've 
become a little bit impatient with my mom because she is visiting for the holidays mm -hmm. and keeps losing track of her dog's leash and whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever it, is, it is, you know, and suddenly you realize, oh, all the stuff that I preach to other people about how to manage their employees with certain amount of patience and empathy and seeking to understand. Mm -hmm. And yet here I am being the jerk to the woman who raised me, um, yeah. thinking that I am somehow the paragon of... <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you yeah. said you weren't very, you said you still were struggling. What'd you say? You weren't very good at I'm it? I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. So you're not bragging. <laughs> if you meet anybody who's like, I am so amazing at meditation and can just transcend, I'd probably run in the other direction. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's I, a shim sham, flim flam man. Right. Yeah. Bruce Lee said that uh, forced humility is false pride, but you still mm. have to, you know, authentic humility, I think, is still due. Yeah. Let me tell it. Let me tell a quick story. It's not maybe about humility, but uh, a friend of mine went to Interlochen. Um, he was a talented musician and talked about how much he loved wearing uniforms. And I, I was in high school and I was um, a, a weirdo in a very small town. And I'm like, what a uniform. Ugh. Ugh, I want to, no, I want to dress like me. And I would dye my hair pink and I would do things. I'm like, no way you can take this Beatles t-shirt off my cold dead body. <laughs> um, but he's like, but at the same time, wouldn't it be nice if nobody judged you from the get go? Like, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter where you're from or how much money you have or you know, you're all in this particular case, everyone there was a very talented musician or um, I think they had other artists there also like singers and um, uh, maybe actors. I don't remember uh, if anyone's ever been to Interlochen. Let me know. Um, uh, and I I thought at the time I was too angry and hormonal to care about that. Um, but after learning that and seeing that, I'm like, oh, I get it seeing each other as people first so it's kind of seeing so you don't have to wear your resume on right. your sleeve you don't have to show off like well of course you should respect me because of <laughs> this that and the other thing don't you know who i am <laughs> and whereas if we're all just humble and hush a minute it's okay let's just respect each other regardless of if you're X, Y, or Z, or the other. Yeah. There's an aspect of mindfulness, I think, that absolutely relates to that. Oh, what you're good. Saying, you know? um, <laughs> and, and part of it is the cliche that you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help others, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the more you're self-compassionate, that's a, become more in vogue lately. Instead of self-esteem, they say self-compassion. It's, it's a bit more of a robust thing that is not so much about ego and getting conceited about yay for me, even though maybe yay for you in some circumstances, go for it. Uh, it's not getting attached to yeah. that, you know. And I think that opens you up to be more compassionate to others in turn. I've also taught classes on you know, implicit bias and mm. and discrimination and inclusiveness and so forth. And part about what we talk about in that is the, the implicit bias is so quick and unconscious it's often called unconscious bias as well sure and there's a mindfulness practice where you just you walk around wherever you're surrounded by people and sometimes you can do this even imagining these people but you just think may you be happy may you be safe may you be loved and it starts to sound a little bit you know 
Ah. Fluffy and woo-woo for some people. That does sound a little bit Sunshine Unicorn Rainbow Town, but But I love that town. You can always balance out and say, hey, there are actual studies that show that Unicorn Town has benefits again, right? And it's it's helpful for me, even though I'm a very skeptical person by nature and, and analytical and so forth. It's, uh, I think, a really helpful practice. You know, you're walking to work. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that I notice just like the inkling of judgment, positive or negative, I now have this new reactivity that sort of overwrites that where it just says, may you be happy. And I notice the more that I practice that, Aww. that ends up being my sort of interrupting narrative. That's nice. Hmm. May you be happy, Jeremy. Thank you. May you be happy as well, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. It sounds like, and also with you. Yeah. So say we all. There's another practice. I think it's a Hindu practice where you think about judgments that you place on people, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And for each one after, and be honest about it, but after each one, add the line, just like me. You'd be like, that person is such a hypocrite, just like me. Oh. That person is phenomenal, just, just like, like me. me. Uh, and again, it's this loving kindness meditation. It's related to loving kindness meditation out of Buddhism that is just rewiring your brain. Well, everything sort of rewires your brain to some degree, but it actually is rewiring, recalibrating some of those reactive instincts that are never going to go away entirely. There's always going to be some primal, unaware part of your brain that's Our lizard just, that's the, the lizard part of your brain that, that yeah. keeps you alive yeah <laughs> um right uh and and yet it the point is not to make that lizard go away it's to recognize it and mm-hmm. pet the lizard and give it a name <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and feed it little pellets oh i like lizards they eat bugs they do <laughs> Is that frustrating, <laughs> like, to to think of it in those terms, to live in those terms? Not if you can have the discernment to go in and out of it and, yeah. and be able to step back from it and, and realize when it's useful and when it's not. Yeah. Because ultimately, I mean, a, a, a Buddhist in the highest of orders, you know, has to go to the bathroom and... You know, has to wash dishes, I presume. Live in the world. Live in the yeah. world, have to pay taxes. and. There's a Zen saying that says, after ecstasy, the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No one's immune from it. Interesting Stories was up next. Right. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Is that your prompt? Uh, stories, oh, do it. Okay. Uh, do you want? Do you want to ask a question? <laughs> I'm not saying that judgmentally. I just, I'm sincerely asking. Like, should I wait for you to ask a formal question? No, let's do stories. Do it. I like story it. time. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not feeling much judgmental coming off of you, Jeremy. Okay, right. great. <laughs> You've made I'm that hiding pretty, it well. You've, good. So judgmental. Just like me. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to say that at the end of everything. Oh, it helps. Be, Even if you just say it quietly, it's just like it, it might ch- disturb people. Okay, so we're we're in India, or how? Okay, so you went to India. I went to India just like that. After <laughs> university, I joined this college-based organization called Program for Education and Relief Peer, and they also were uh, starting uh, Students for a Free Tibet chapter, which I ended up being the co-founder and, and, and co-president of Students for Free Tibet. For those who don't know, uh, I recommend looking up the history of Tibet. Um, it's it's pretty brutal, and there's still uh, a, a lot of 
challenging things going on in that country. And, and, and many of the residents are living in exile uh, because of that, of what happened in the mid 20th century. And so the initial plan was to go to Tibet and do some humanitarian work and being the the young privileged saviors that a lot of college students think they are. Mm, yep, <laughs> we didn't yeah. really do our homework initially and then realized that it would be pretty prob problematic to go into the country itself. Yeah. And so we decided instead to go to India and found this organization that would place us where there was help needed. Mm -hmm. So I taught in a remote village in northern India called Himachal Pradesh for a few weeks and taught English to young children, and it was really delightful. At the same time, the organization that was sponsoring all of this didn't have all of the best practices that I agreed with the way mm -hmm. that they did things. And also, there were tiger attacks on my commute. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, that so... <laughs> sucks. I mean, yeah. I love tigers, but... Oh, don't I don't want one on my bus. Yeah, people were like... losing limbs. Like, no, on my walking commute. So oh, no. I would walk up the foothills of the Himalayas. Yeah, I was, to these I was thinking of Seattle schools. terms. Yeah, um, right. Like on I-5. It's just tigers. tigers. Um, so Whoa. there were pragmatic reasons again for me to, to find a different path. And yeah, literally. And literally. So <laughs> I had heard about this monastery uh, not far in uh, this little village called Dolanji. And uh, it's not far from Solon, if anyone is from the area. that's Maybe Shimla would be the, the bigger area, to, to put it geographically. So anyway, this mm -hmm. uh, monastery was home to the Menri Treason, who was one of the holiest people in what they call the bone lineage in, in Tibetan religions. Very similar precursor to Buddhism, technically. And he is kind of like the Dalai Lama of this lineage. He doesn't always like that comparison, but it's the easiest way to explain it. Sure. Very, very holy man, um, but also very down to earth. And there was a, an American also who was studying there and translating uh, this um, old Tibetan document. So I uh, was able to connect with him and uh, spent three weeks in this monastery teaching English in, in partial exchange for my uh, stay and met a lot of amazing monks wow. and got to study with this with the Menri Treason. And you have whatever conception you have of mm -hmm. this amazing holy man and you walk into his space and he has a little stuffed rabbit on his desk. <laughs> if you, you know, part the little curtain and walk in on him with his Tibetan prayer beads meditating, he will immediately open his eyes and just start laughing. Um, he doesn't like, <laughs> hey, you know, this is my meditation. Why are you interrupting me, right? He's always just open. It's just, uh -huh. he told me I thought too much, which surprised. Um, <laughs> but he also gave me some good texts and things to, to meditate on. Hmm. Um, and when I think back to that time, though, I feel like one of the most important lessons of that stay was, I think, unintentional, because I don't think they planned to have monsoon season push a giant boulder into the path of their... Holy um... crap. <laughs> but this is the cool thing, right? So after this, the, the monsoon came and uh -huh. it, it pushed this giant boulder into the, the only path in and out of their uh, village community. And Whoa. what they did was the monks would take turns standing on top of this boulder. I have a picture somewhere. I wish I'd brought it. Um, and, and hold the chisel on top of the boulder. And then they would line up with the hammer and take mm -hmm. turns where one monk would hold the, 
the chisel down like this and the other monk would just swing at it and it was this giant boulder almost the size of this room wow um and it was perfectly bookended for the three weeks that i was there that the monsoon had, had washed it in right before i arrived um and then by the time the three weeks had ended the boulder was almost gone entirely it was just chipped away you know little wow. by little by that and the men retreats and the abbot of the monastery would come down with his little red umbrella twirling and kind of, you know, observe them and talk to them. And But it seemed like as essential to their practice, even though this was, we got to get this boulder out of the way. Yeah. It's a very practical for, thing. Yeah, for practical reasons. <laughs> but it seemed like, oh, look at this giant metaphor. Um, not to I put mean, too fine a point on it. for real. Yeah, it was, it was a very real. That's a very It can cosmic... be very real and very metaphorical at the same time. Yeah. Um. In fact, if that weren't a movie, I'm like, tone it back. It's too much. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's, too, it's too on the nose, yeah, Jeremy. Too sorry. On, sorry. Um, that pitch is a little... Tell me more about those tiger decks. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. And so by the... by You were there for three weeks, and then it was more or less gravel by the time you Yeah, were Yeah, they had essentially cleared out. Um, so in the interim, I was, you know, spending every day... Uh, teaching a classroom of, of young children from the Tibetan village mm -hmm. um, and then uh, tu tutoring a young llama there. In, tutoring them in, in English, you In said. English. Mm -hmm. And uh, the book that he brought to me to use for the tutoring was Babe the Gallant Pig. Oh. It was the novelization of the movie. Oh. <laughs> the Gallant Pig. I think that was the full name of it. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's a very good pig. Yeah. And it was very eye-opening, though. My friend Bill, who was there, the, the scholar, on a, I think he was on a road scholarship or something, he had asked one of the monks, what's the most difficult thing about being a monk? Expecting some profound answer. And the monk said, sex. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a ticket to Bone Town. <laughs> I can't. I, I mean, a lot of young monks are, are, are kind of brought up, you know, at, some involuntarily, you know, like ushered into it by their families, some yeah. very much voluntarily. So it's not everyone takes the same path. So um, my father was a Christian monk when he was in his 20s. Oh, okay. Um, interesting. So it's just interesting to come. I talked to the men retreats and a lot about that. He was very interested in that path that my father had taken. Um, and I was in my early 20s at that time as well. But yeah, I mean... Again, huh. these are flesh and blood human beings who deal with the same, you know, same crap, same just distractions like and desires, just like me. Wow, uh, that's really funny. Um, yeah, that that was a great question. What's the hardest? What's the hardest part about being a monk? Can monk, monks are allowed to have sex though? Right? No, no, they can't. <laughs> no, wait, why? No, good question. Oh, uh, I mean, that's, that's part something... of the vows. That's abstinence. It's oh, part of the vows. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. I mean, the composition Carmina Burana would, you know, say otherwise. But um, you ever heard that that classical piece with the? Anyway, it's about I, monks I and know. nuns having sex. Oh, um, well. So it's not that they don't. <laughs> that they're not supposed to. <laughs> Just not they're supposed to. Right. right. Um, so depending on how disciplined they are. Um, Interesting. But you know, also got to see their their meditation. They do this amazing debate. Um, where one monk will will sit and the other one will instead of just having like this you know calm chat the way that they debate is one sits and reflects and the other monk one or two will stand up and give them challenging questions and then they do something like this where they go 
like that with their hands and they do this like sort of sliding Zip, zap, clapping zop, thing sort of like thing. like an improv exercise yeah. right yeah i also taught improv in the foothills of the himalayas yes to young children which we was fun. will get improv everywhere it's, it is whether right you like it or not <laughs> <laughs> um no, it goes very well hand in hand with mindfulness i, I was gonna say does. it's about connectivity and thoughtfulness I mean, ultimately the basic of it basis of it should be right uh so so that was uh when I went to India a few years before Liz Gilbert, but uh, didn't get a book contract out of it. So oh, um, I don't know who Liz. Oh, she wrote is. "Eat, Pray, Love." Oh. She is, I think, sometimes unfairly uh, written with a, a broad brush because of the reputation of that book. She's actually super awesome, like very funny, cool good writer. Anyway, nice. Um, but that was yeah my my India journey, and then I think if we're in story time, yeah, the please. other formative experience for me was about nine years later i went on a 10-day meditation retreat it was supposed to be 10 days it's called mm-hmm. a vipassana retreat um, a lot of people have heard of that it's free for those going especially on your first time they won't even accept payment because it's all sponsored by people who are alums i guess you would say people have been through mm-hmm. it before and are paying it back um and so you get 10 days uh, and they, they feed you and put you in a little uh, dorm space and there's one here in Washington State um, and you just spend 10 days listening to the teachings of this particular um, meditation teacher in the Vipassana tradition and then meditating for hours a day um, which sounds super fun but you know obviously it's very transformative in a way that no dabbling could accomplish yeah a deep immersion like that 10 days so how did you did you enjoy your time have you done it since well here's the thing so i going into it i was coming out of uh, a lot of turmoil um from a relationship at Mm -hmm. the time from work from just kind of personal stuff and thought i was going to be very dedicated and i'd already been practicing meditation for over a decade at this point um, or 15 years, whatever it was. And after a couple of days, not only did my back hurt and all of those things, like, sure. you know, but I just developed a really bad cold and who knows if that, some of that was psychosomatic or whatever, mm-hmm. but, and just the walking around the monastery, the most peaceful place is something about the silence and the experience that makes you confront your own interior stuff. It was very intense. Wow. And you set up a commitment when you go into it that you're going to try to really tough it out for the 10 days and to anticipate this might happen. Um, but I tapped out. Oh, did you? you know, okay. I, I had to sit down and talk with one of the people guiding it. And he they kind of give you an exit interview. It's not like, no, you can't leave. You're part of our cult now. Um, yeah. You know, there, I'm like, <laughs> I would say, hopefully you're allowed to leave. You're allowed if, to leave. As, as long as you give your, your donation, of, <laughs> you know. To the Bhagwan. No, that's a completely different than, good, uh, good, than good, wild, good. wild country. No cults. Not that type of thing. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I would highly recommend it to anyone who feels like they're ready for it, the Vipassana retreat. Um, so I still had all this time off, though, uh, scheduled from work. So I just decided to kind of make my own Vipassana. And so okay. I, I went home and remained uh, off the grid in as much as I could and read a book about the history of Vipassana and meditated as much as I could in my little apartment uh, all day since I had nothing on the calendar. It was really liberating in that way. And yeah, I have to say it's one of the times I felt the most 
blissed out in a way just like it's a strange way to explain it but it's like after you've been crying for a while and you Mm -hmm. get like that trickle in the back of your throat that's Mm -hmm. accompanied by a a little bit of the endorphins from just like the release Mm -hmm. the relief of it yeah it's like that except for i wasn't crying i was just crying uh something about that experience and i remember on my seventh or eighth day of that i had to drive somewhere you know (laughs) but i was just like driving with the windows down and just sort of feeling the wind with your you know you start to become mm-hmm. a cliche of this <laughs> um, you are the leaf on the wind exactly and and you, every, yes <laughs> but you start to say oh that's what that's about right yeah um and oh the other part that i forgot about <laughs> the other thing i tried to do as a replacement for the vipassana was i should go check out um a sensory deprivation tank Oh, right? okay. Um, have you heard of yeah, those? Yeah, yes, and absolutely. This part of my <laughs> saltwater uh, immersion yeah. tank. And for example, for some reason, at the time, there weren't a lot of them around the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And I emailed one of them and found out they were closed. They're like, "Oh, we're actually uh, closed down, but uh, call this number and." Uh, they can set you up. And I called this number and it was like this guy in Bellevue. And I went and drove there and made an appointment and it turned out it was just this guy in his house. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Nope. Yeah. Murderer. I, I, nope. Yeah. No. It's, uh, <laughs> this is again, again, being a, a privileged young white guy who just <laughs> doesn't think that there's anything to be afraid of. He knows of. martial arts. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> it was like this kind of, you know, hippie white guy with dreadlocks who had a yoga studio in his garage and had... Uh-huh. A sensory deprivation tank in his dining room. In his dining room? Yeah. Okay. And he had two, I remember, little toddlers running around naked. And um, <laughs> Oh, toddlers don't wear clothes. We all know I know. This. They, <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it was just part of the scene to paint for you. It's gorgeous, um, and I'm really, I'm there, and I'm thrilled. He was checking out BMWs on his laptop. I, this is just all part of the scene. It was just a weird That scene. is a lot of weird stuff. And I, he has you... Um, Go and take a shower in his shower, his mm-hmm. personal shower, so you can be, you know, cleansed before getting into the salt water. And I remember, speaking of dishes piled up, again, it's fine to do that, but you're running a business. And I just remember, like, this, like, really cluttered... Uh, oh, this was a business? This wasn't just I a mean, guy helping a guy was, out? He's running a business from his house, you know, in a oh. way that you would, like, say, come and, you know, I have the yoga studio in my garage. I have the sensory deprivation in the dining room. Here's, you know, give me 60 bucks and you get to sit in it for an hour. Um, oh, I thought he was just like, yo, buddy, you need to be deprived. I got you covered. Right. No, I didn't realize it was, this was, it was like a monetary business exactly, situation. Yeah. Then, yeah, it needs to be a little more uh, professional <laughs> so, to make your make your customer and guest feel comfortable. And the main thing was that the sink was dripping water, mm. which you could say was almost like uh, designed to provoke the, the, the Buddhist challenge. But um, <laughs> it did Buddhist not make challenge. the... the the sensory deprived because you could still hear it getting inside this little pod mm-hmm. of salt water of uh you know he tried to explain how to do it and everything but like the salt water that makes you float also couldn't get in your eyes and mouth if you accidentally tilt one way or the other okay and it's very distracting and unsettling and oh. uh you're naked inside the chamber in this stranger's I, dining yeah. room uh and <laughs> 
I could, again, I had to tap out. I couldn't last more than maybe five or 10 minutes. Uh, so I got out, got dressed, gave the guy 60 bucks cash. And he says to me, well, okay, well, next time I can get in there with you. No, and- <laughs> no, no, no. No. That man has been arrested. I am positive he's been arrested. By now, probably. He says, I can get in there with you and try some some massage techniques that'll help you. No, no. I mean, uh, I also listen to too much true crime. Uh, So I'm coming from a definitely don't do that. I can't believe you did any of that. Um, there were children around, but I don't know. That... Who knows if they were even his in retrospect? Yeah, wh- who um... are those kids? <laughs> <laughs> that is wow, wow. If it's coming from a genuinely awesome, like loving place of like, I really want you to relax and be a part of this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And maybe it was, but it but was no, too much thank for you. Me. Yeah. No, you are absolutely allowed to have your boundaries, and <laughs> that I it cracks me up that that was too far for you. Being naked in a pod in a person's living room where you can hear the dripping sink. Lovely. Um, any last thoughts or remarks that you'd like to share before we end with our mindful arm farts? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, all of my uh, practical recommendations uh, I was able to weave throughout there. So yeah, um, anyone is welcome to, uh, to find me on social media or what have you if they have more questions. I'm not the biggest subject matter expert but i am open well you're an everyday guy doing the doing the work is Mm -hmm. a thing like you this isn't your job isn't to meditate you have a thousand other jobs you are a husband you are a father yes 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 you have you are an improviser you are you have you are a a studious person you know what i mean (laughs) so it's like people who like my only job is to talk about meditation read about meditation and meditate that it's easy to like it's easy for them to say, right. but like you're a dude who's just living on this world, trying to figure it out and pay attention to him, to himself and to others and live mindfully. And I think you are a very nice touchstone for that. Approachable, I dare say. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I think you're nice. I think you're nice too. Aw. Aw. Would you join me in some musical arm farts? Uh, sure. I'll see if I can do one. Oh, you doing old school up the armpit? Yeah. Do oh, you want? Should I do it like this? I don't Which, know. Whichever way. I usually just like blow like oh, right way. onto my arm. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's, it sounds if, kind of like a like a. If you get a don't didgeridoo. get don't get in the wedge. Oh. Get, like pick the forearm or the beefy part of your arm. <laughs> there it is. I mean, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Do you think I would know this by now? <laughs> <laughs> Theirs are more all natural. Yeah, exactly. They are professionals. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. I hope you're happy. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're happy. What what is it? I I hope you, I wish you happiness. What was the thing that you told me? May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy, listeners. And you too. And me too. And everybody. Just like me. Just like me. Bum, bum.